And there's, there's your advertising model right there. We just, we just solved the future for everybody. Welcome to the Raft Podcast, Let's Fix Things, where Chus and myself, Joe Fletcher, explore the world of connected experiences, spanning from connected services, platforms, and devices over industries such as transportation, smart home, logistics, healthcare, and media. Chus and I started this podcast to explore design and strategy topics in more depth coming from the projects we handle in our design consultancy. Now, on to the show. Chus, good morning. Welcome to 2017 and welcome back from holidays. Good morning and uh, thank you. Ah, what are, we, what are we going to talk about today? What do we got? We're talking about the past, present, and the future. That's what we're doing. That, that sounds vague and horrible. So, <laughs> so we are going to talk about, uh, but yes, you are right. We are going to talk about 2017. Probably not a lot about this day in specific, but then 2000, uh, wait, did I say 2017? I meant 2016. What did yep. I say? Yep. You said 17. We're already, yeah. we're already off to a horrible start. 2016 <laughs> and then 2017. And we're going to be talking about trends that we would like to see in 2017. And uh, I, th- I think before we get into that, Chusa, how was your break? What's, it's been a few weeks since we've actually uh, caught up. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I spent a week on private projects. As you know, I'm fascinated with clocks and time and sunlight. So I, I spent a week building a, a weird digital solar clock. And I went to Norway to spend with family doing absolutely nothing. I only had my phone on me, no computer time, nothing. Was amazing. Where were you? Where were you in Norway? Uh, in Stavanger, which is uh, uh, I don't know why I don't know why I asked that. Unless you said like one of the three main cities, I would have no clue. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, very small. Where do you fly? You fly into Oslo? No, you fly in directly. It's a it's a big oil uh, town. Lots of people work there, so uh, they, they they have lots of uh, flights during uh, during a day. Okay, things I did not know. Uh, so yeah, and then I, over the break, I was still, well, I'm still in uh, Kuala Lumpur. I stayed here over Christmas and it is a, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's quite a big um, Muslim population here. So Christmas is not quite as large as it is in Netherlands, mm-hmm. uh, but the, the malls are definitely Christmassy. You have Santa, you have uh, lots of Christmas decorations all over the malls, but it still is like 28 degrees uh, Celsius over here. So it, it still feels like summer. It's a, it's a little odd, but it's uh, pretty nice. Yeah, the last the last snowy Christmas there was several million years ago, I guess. If if I, I don't know my history here, <laughs> so, uh, but yes, today. So as we were saying, trends. It is well. It was the end of the year. Now it's the beginning of the new year. Most design companies or, or large consultancies will put together a list of trends that they foresee for the coming year. So in this case. You know, the top five or 10 trends that you would expect to see in 2017. Uh, what we wanted to do is, is something a little bit different. We wanted to look at trends that we would like to see. I, I think it's quite easy. Um, well, okay, no, it's not easy. I don't want to say that. Um, but I think, I think there's quite a normalization to just saying what do we think is going to be popular. And 50% of those lists often overlap because there are things like self-driving cars and virtual reality and IOT that, that encompass or that hit all these lists. Yep. Um, so yeah, we wanted to, we wanted to try something a little bit different. And from everything that we've been talking about on the podcast for the past, um, uh, what's it been six, seven, eight months, 
Uh, we wanted to uh, we wanted to bring some of that in, and as we looked forward to 2017 and talk about, um, well, in this case, I think we're going to talk about two today. the The document that we'll publish on the uh, the website with the podcast uh, has six trends that we would like to see, uh, but I think we're going to hit on two specifically just for time, so we don't end up going two hours. Yeah, yeah, we could talk about that forever. I I will say, um, just thinking about now that we've been going for six, seven, eight months, uh, what we didn't say before the break, and we should say. Is uh, is thank you to the people who uh, who actively listen to the show. Uh, when we first started this, you know, we we didn't know if we were going to keep doing it after a few weeks and if it was going to go anywhere. You know, we started out with <laughs> like I don't know, ten listeners or twenty listeners, and since then it's it's grown into hundreds of people sort of across the world, and it's been absolutely wonderful. And, and it's it's amazing also when we get feedback or people ask questions uh, when we when we get sort of comments about it. Um, so it's it's. Yeah, it's quite nice, and thank you guys for listening. So, Chris, out of the two trends that we picked to talk about today, uh, which is one is one of them is about privacy, and one of them is about let's call it new forms of UI. Yeah, which would you like to start with? I would like to start with new forms of UI. Let's let's God talk about it. Let, let's talk about new things. Oh, yes, great new forms of UI. <laughs> <laughs> so this um, uh, what we did here is we called this trend the decline of the phone. And it is a bit, uh, the title's a bit clickbaity, we, we, we know that, and we don't actually expect for the phone to decline itself, but the trend is really more around that we've, over the past few years, there's pretty much a saturation of smartphone sales, right? Almost everybody in the world, um, if you're you know, 10, 12 years old or older, um, has a smartphone or a, or a cell phone with some sort of you know, minimal application capabilities. Um, and so, therefore, you're not going to see uh, many new forms of UI coming out of the smartphone, and, and the phone is is reached sort of its critical mass. And so, when any product matures, uh, it's it's room for another product to grow. And this uh, this trend looks at the idea that all these new forms of UI are actually starting uh, to become mainstream in, in the last year. And this includes voice. This includes sort of our hardware and software interactions. Uh, so, and anything on that, actually, before we keep rolling into that? Um, yeah, I, I, I think what we're seeing also in the smartphone world itself is that uh, the prices of the top top of the line models are, are going up because uh, companies are putting more and more expensive hardware inside of phones to make them faster, better, stronger. And people are actually starting to stick with their phones more. I've never seen as many people... Um, hold on to a phone that has a crack in the screen or a crack in the back. And e- e- even my phone is damaged and I'm, I'm going to hold on for it for another year because I don't see the value of spending 800 euros on a new phone right now. Yeah, so, so before, I, I guess that's a good point, whereas um, upgrade cycles, you know, initially were like one year, then two years. Now it's, I, I think it's something around three years is a, is a common upgrade cycle for people with phones. Uh, so you're seeing people who are making phones, anybody who makes Android phones, uh, Samsung, Huawei, um, these companies, and then you're seeing Apple also uh, needing to innovate within other products or other areas because the, the phone is um, becoming less of a revenue generator than it was when it had this amazing year-over-year growth. But now that everybody has it, where do you go? So it's not necessarily the decline of the phone, but it's just a plateau of the fl- of the phone. And within this, you have room... Uh, for a lot of new ideas coming out. And over the past year, we have seen Snapchat spectacles, right? So you have these new ways 
of recording and interacting with the world around you. AirPods. You have Apple AirPods. Yes, I just ordered mine. I'm waiting to get them if they, whenever they come into the Raft studio. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody better pair them uh, to their phones. Uh, you have uh, the Surface tablet. So it's sort of late in the year, the latter half of the year, a bunch of these new interaction forms popped up. But these are things, I mean, oh, well, and then you also had uh, Amazon Echo, which had been around from before 2016. You had Google Home introduced. So you have this voice really going mainstream now at this point um, with, with Siri, with um, the Echo um, thingy that we don't want to talk about her name uh, <laughs> and Google Assistant. So you have all these voice UIs. You have Snapchat Spectacles, which is now removing the barrier of the phone. So again, this is this is where you see that that where we came up with that title, Decline of the Phone, because you're not going to have to pull your phone out of your pocket to record video, let's say. You're not going to have to pull your phone out of your pocket um, to maybe get directions or to um, play music now that you have your AirPods in. Uh, so there's all these new things uh, that are coming up, uh, especially with some wearables, even though the wearable category isn't doing great. You know, there's there's um, there's something to be said about the Apple Watch and watches that have a broader ecosystem with them. Yeah, if you look at what happened with basically the release of the first uh, capacitive touch uh, smartphones, and, and that includes the iPhone, you saw how phones were actually quite powerful computers and more and more software was released that extended the capabilities of these phones. And um, they were basically eating everything. Your phone became your camera, your phone became your flashlight, your phone became the thing you called people with, but also emailed, and it became your calculator, and all these separate devices around the house and in your life and in the office got rolled up into software. And people were on board with that, and it was nice, and it was wonderful. But now as that is maturing, uh, we see that certain capabilities aren't as good if you put them inside of a phone only. So that's where the Snapchat glasses come from. What if you don't even have to grab your phone anymore? Can we make it even easier, right? Well, I, I love what, um, uh, was it, is it Evan, Evan Spiegel? Spiegel? I, I, I don't know how to pronounce anyone's last name anymore. Um, the CEO of Snapchat, what, he, what I said, what he said that I thought was so brilliant about the spectacles is that people are using their phones to record all this video and it, it immediately puts up a barrier between you and what you're recording. Mm-hmm. And something like sunglasses doesn't do that. So, um, you know, to your point, the way to record video by holding up an object that puts a barrier in between things is not the best way to do things. It has just been the most convenient way that we have had. And so now you're seeing this new form of, of a user interface come up that completely redefines how we may capture uh, video or life around us. Yeah, you had you had the, the vlogger from New York, Casey Neistat who uh, had this application called Beam or Beamy, uh, which had users hold the phone to their chest or to something, and only then would it start filming. So the idea was that you had to cover the phone screen to be able to start filming, and people would film from their perspective. And I think the Snapchat glasses are kind of a, 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 an evolution of that, but then also in into the into the direction of usability, of, of making it easier, of making it fun, of of having it be really what you're seeing. Yeah. So uh, we didn't mention this at the beginning of the, uh, of the podcast, but we have a small uh, Skype audience uh, who's listening in from Mexico, actually Uh, a a few people over there. And we just got a comment that was um, the last thing you'll be doing, I guess, is, is using your phone to make calls. And I would even disagree with that. I don't like at the point that my AirPods can make a phone call. I don't need to pull my phone out of my pocket. I think the only thing that you actually need your phone for 
is viewing images and browsing uh, content or finding something, right? So if maybe browsing search results from Google, let's say, is going to be faster on my phone than it will be to listen to a Google Assistant read me the search results. Uh, but that type of content discovery, content browsing, I think that's what we're going to use a quote-unquote phone for. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a phone. At the point that I can put a SIM card in my uh, AirPods or something like that, then the phone becomes a device that is a companion used for browsing and image viewing. Uh, but I couldn't leave my home with just my AirPods or whatever. You know, maybe it's a watch. Maybe it's I'm just saying AirPods. Maybe it's glasses with with you know bone conducting speakers or whatever it is. Uh, but the point is, that there are there are new ways that um, I, I think everyone's been using the phone for something uh, for for all of these things because Steve Jobs stood on stage in 2007 and said we're going to introduce you know internet browsing and calling and listening to music and all of a sudden this singular device had all these things in it that made it more convenient than anything else before it but the next evolution of devices i think the phone takes a back seat to other to other um, things that then become a more natural way to interact with the world around you and to uh, interact with communications Right now, the way the phone is seen, it's the center of the ecosystem and all of these things we can buy are around it. They are accessories to that phone. But we also see that um, like CPU speeds for, for phones aren't increasing as much anymore as they were in the beginning, right? We're, we're reaching this kind of level where it is enough. A twice as fast CPU will not deliver you much beyond games. And, and PCs have hit this point a couple of years ago. And, and now you see phones kind of hit this same point. And what what we can start to see maybe is that uh, the the processing power is going to be distributed over these other accessories. You know, like you were just saying, what if these AirPods actually become wireless enabled of themselves? Would you still need your phone? And we'll stop calling it a phone, and it'll just become the screen that you have with you. Right? So, and that that's what I think is the best part so far about this. Uh, I'm I'm going to have to rewrite some of this uh, this trend stuff that we have because yes, it 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 shouldn't necessarily be a phone. A phone is something that we can call a remnant of, of what was, right, of, of the 2000s, right? The 2000 to 2000, uh, you know, let's say 20 or something. Maybe it's going to take a few years uh, to get there. That's why, we, that's why these are hopeful trends, hopeful, hopeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I love that idea that this is a, this is a screen. And then this is where uh, the movie Her really sort of hit that, right? I mean, I don't think we're the first ones to come up with this idea, but, but damn, is it a cool idea because then it opens up all these possibilities of what it means these other devices can do, as you said, as opposed to ancillary items, they are core items. Yeah, yeah. There will no longer be a center of the ecosystem. You just buy the parts that you want to use or, or the objects that you love using. That is either Snapchat goggles for a camera or maybe you like an actual physical camera, right? So is it, so is it Project, was it Aura or Aura? Aura? I don't Aura. know, whatever the, Aura, okay, that Google modular phone. Uh, so maybe Project Aura was was just too early. Maybe the pieces weren't, robust enough and that's the problem it's not supposed to be a phone it's supposed to be pieces that go around you and exactly. together they form they form voltron that's what we oh, oh my uh, uh i got uh, <laughs> like, i got to take a break i just i just said something too awesome holy <laughs> crap like uh, at, at ces a couple of cameras have been introduced that now um are directly connected to your phone and whenever you take a photo with this this camera from from nikon sony whatever they stream the photos to your phone so actually it is it is a phone camera or 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 is the phone connected to your camera and and I 
it, it becomes difficult to talk about because there is not one main element anymore. You have a camera and you have a phone, but they act as one because they can both access, access the same data. Yeah, so, well, and, and especially if you look towards the Amazon Echo model, or, you know, it's not the Echo model. The Echo is the product. It's the um, Amazon girl thingy, mabobber. We just need to say that. Uh, a, we need, we need to come up with a name for her. Because I want to steal Dingus, and you didn't like Dingus, and then we can't say the other. God damn it. Just come up with something. Amazon speaker. Anyway. Yes, Amazon. <laughs> that's, that's the Echo device, dumbass. Um, uh, okay, we, we got a suggestion for Alejandra. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that works. <laughs> Amazon Alejandra. That's, that's, that's the Mexican equivalent of, of the, uh, the American name. <laughs> uh, so the cool thing about uh, Amazon Alejandra is that the, uh, all the processing is in the cloud. So who's to your point... Yes, if these become dumb devices, then everything's in the cloud. Then all of a sudden, again, opens up all these new possibilities of where does where does information live? Because if information is not centralized anywhere, um, then my head exploded and hackers. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's uh, not go there yet. No, not yet. But what what I do want to say um, uh, for this, and I don't know, I don't know if this is wrapping up because we didn't we didn't even get to the sur- the Surface Studio. Um, yeah. But I'm going to come back to that in a second. Because I, I think what's become interesting here is that if you are a product or a service, you have all of these different channels which you can now go through. Um, and this is just to start, right? I imagine at the end of 2017, we're going to have more products. But you have voice, uh, you have direct manipulation like uh, you know, uh, touch screens, uh, phones, tablets. You have mouse and keyboard manipulation. You have um, Pens. this uh, physical digital like the Surface Studio. Uh, you have gesture, uh, and and then within those different types of user interfaces, you have all these different uh, devices that you can possibly go out with your product and service. And I think that for designers, uh, and and you know, I'll, I'll try to keep uh, I'll try to keep bringing this back to to design a little bit and and strategy is that selecting the appropriate type of UI and the appropriate channels that you distribute your product on, assuming that you're a service that uses you know, other, other people's hardware, uh, I think is going to become one of the most important roles of a designer over the next few years. And this is where service design really starts to raise up because it looks at different channels and different types of actors uh, within a scenario and all these different things that, that show design to be much more of a complex system than a pure UI. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so, I mean, to that point... And, and this is partly what we capture in the trend itself, uh, which is what we'd like to see about this is, is a, an embrace from designers um, to be able to think about all these different uh, channels and all these different types of input and come up with a strategy that is not just buckshot everything, right? Don't just go after everything because that's what um, – that's just a poor strategy. That's not a strategy. It's just you don't know what to do, so you're just going after everything. But picking the right um, – the right functions and the right functionality to go on different devices and the right functionality to go across different inputs. What is best for voice? And then what do you need a screen for? What is best for a, you know, a pair of glasses that records video and what is best for an in earpiece? Um, you know, so what are all these different things doing within your product ecosystem and how is your service catering to these and how is your service taking advantage of these? Yeah, we've talked a lot about, for instance, uh, Spotify on the Amazon Alejandra device. It's really nice to tell it what to play exactly, but it's really difficult to discover, right? We even hit on it in this podcast. So uh, discovery of new things always works better on a screen, or at least for now, we haven't found a better method. So 
you see that some services, if they if they launch on the wrong platform, they could fail, even though that the service itself is inherently a good thing. The, the corollary I would draw here is that back maybe three or four years ago, three years ago, let's say, when every company was like, we need an application, and that application has to do the same exact thing as our website. Right? And you're like, well, why the hell do you have two things that do the same? Oh, because some people want to do it here and some people want to do it here. And that that is true. Sometimes that happens. Um, but within the application, maybe you had ability to take advantage of native hardware that you didn't with a website. Um, or maybe you had the advantage of getting geolocation easier than a website would. Um, although I think you can, I think with some phones and operating systems, you can grab geolocation, but still point. So, so to me, it's about finding what each piece of the puzzle does really well and how to use it for that. Um, because, you know, like you said, maybe play pause is something I want for everything. But if I say, you know, um, Siri, since Siri is, you know, I don't think we're going to wake up anybody's device with that. Um, you know, Siri, uh, I want to browse heavy metal music. I, I think it could be okay to say I need a little bit more information, like ask ask a precision question to help me target it, or say you need a screen to view this. I can't. I, I'm not going to read out what you know, one thousand six hundred and twenty-two bands to you. Yeah. So, or you or know, maybe ask me questions. Or maybe it starts to play uh, very short samples, and you could just say next, next, next. And maybe it starts to play samples of certain sub sub genres. There's all kinds of ways you can navigate your yourself around that if you know that you are an audio-first music browsing service, right? Well, I, I like to think of it. I mean, just uh, what I said made me sort of <laughs> think think about something. If you and I are talking, mm-hmm. and uh, I say, "Who's I want to listen to to heavy metal?" You wouldn't say. I'm just going to go into my catalog and start playing stuff and hit next. You would say, well, what kind of bands do you like? Or what type of heavy metal do you like? Right. You would start asking me questions would be the natural interaction. And I I think, I think what you just described is probably what somebody would do. What, what some applications would do where it's just like, okay, here's a, here's a list of a thousand bands and we're just going to have 30 second audio clips for you. But I think a smarter companion, a smarter assistant uh, would do this would do this better would ask questions like a person to try to to try to hammer that out a little bit more yeah but you you would not want to see an app do that in a visual ui with a mouse where every time you just search for metal and you have to answer all the questions right so it's really nice to see how a music service can live on any of these different types of channels but they they will really need to look at what each channel does what's the affordance of the channel what's it good at and what is it bad at no, that's a perfect example, though, right? Because if I had a screen in front of me, it could it could say then uh, pick you know pick a type of uh, pick a, a genre within heavy metal, and then it could send me a list of ten of these things, and I could say like, oh, okay, there's ten different I have to pick from, and I can have that screen, which is faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I didn't have a screen, then it could ask me other questions like, what bands do you like? And therefore, by by saying there's a different channel, it needs a different type of um, a follow along, basically. Yeah. Um, so, so different channels could have different uh, interactions with users based on um, the capabilities available to that channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, with that, do, uh, do you want to? Because uh, we could, we didn't even uh, we didn't get to the hardware software part of the Surface uh, Studio, which I still think is unbelievably cool, and gesture and all these types of things. Uh, but uh, just making sure that we keep time. Do we want to move on to uh, to privacy? <laughs> yeah, it's it's dangerous, okay. but let's do it. So. Ooh. Everybody put well, on your tinfoil hats. It's about privacy. I had to turn off my VPN to, to do this podcast. 
which which already makes me queasy. <laughs> <laughs> and now everybody uh, can listen to something that we publish publicly. Ah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so this tie, I think this ties in well to maybe whatever we said ten minutes ago, where you know where does data live, and how do we get to data, and how is data communicated between devices? And mm -hmm. I think that's a good jumping off point uh, to uh, to this this the second topic or the second trend that we're going to talk about of our six hopeful trends. Although this will be the second and last one for this podcast, uh, privacy returns home, and Chus, we can start with. Encryption, VPN, we can start with some of the stories of Russia hacking the election. We can start with the FBI and the iPhone. We can start with net neutrality in countries that are not, or in continents, country, I don't know what to say, areas that are not North America and Europe. Where, where do you want to start on this one? Let's start with the FBI phone. Yeah. The FBI. Okay. And, and I, I think to preface this, this the opening of this, this trend is basically in the last year has really been, uh, privacy has really been a hot topic and, and digital security and with things like um, the, the Amazon devices and some of the court cases that are happening, people are starting to realize how much these devices are tracking you, how much information they are collecting from you and that the usage of this information isn't always private. And I think a lot of people assumed that it was private and, you know, what do you do to pr protect yourself and, um, it's not even it's not even necessarily protect yourself, but it's just be have an awareness of what privacy means, what security means. Uh, so the FBI case, this was I forget this was six eight months ago, uh, the former part of the year, the first part of the year. Uh, there was a shooting in San Bernardino in the U.S. and Apple and the FBI had a had a sort of very public battle where the FBI asked Apple to unlock one of their phones or basically hack into one of their phones. And Apple said, that's not possible. We don't have any backdoor in which Apple can get into a phone. And the FBI said, well, you guys need to start building a backdoor into your phones. So um, law enforcement and the government can get into people's phones uh, if they are so needed, uh, if, if it is so needed within a criminal prosecution. Or of course, the bigger concern is if it is needed for things like the Patriot Act and spying. Um, so th this is this this you know was was uh, quite a heated debate I would say for about a month and then the FBI eventually cracked into the phone themselves, but this raises the question of the golden key or the sort of master key topic. Uh, Chris, do you want to do you want to open up on that topic? Yeah. So the idea of a, of a golden key is the fact that a customer a consumer can have their own uh, protection on their device, uh, passwords, two factor authentication, thumbprints, whatever. But it implies that there is another way of opening this device by the manufacturer or the government or a, a third party, basically, that um, normally will, will say that they will never use this unless proper cause is there. Yeah, what this means is that you're only protecting your device from other people, but not fully protecting it. There is privacy and there's no privacy at the same time. Well, and one of the bigger, okay, so yes, there's that. And there's the fact that you don't actually know, like, it, even if you're not part of a, a criminal case, this means that somebody, law enforcement or the government or um, somebody outside, if they were to um, acquire that key, could get into your phone. And Ben Thompson, um, who's over at Stratechery, a great blog, wrote basically the fundamental problem of a sort of a master key, a golden key is that in the physical world, if you have a master key, let's say to an apartment, 
or most recently TSA, uh, the uh, security agency for flights for airline travel in the U.S., uh, said you can now have locks on your luggage, but they have to be TSA-approved locks, and TSA has a master key. Uh, so that only TSA, in theory, of course, in theory, as we're about to see, can get into the bags. Now, what happened is somebody, uh, it was either took a picture or got the file or something like that and posted it online. So somebody with a 3D printer could go and reprint a key. And this means that now everybody can, of course, have the key and everybody can open the locks that uh, you know, only the TSA were supposed to be able to open. So that's, this is clearly why it's not a good idea, because if, the, if something like exi- this exists, if a master key exists, it is not a matter of if it will get stolen, it is when it is going to get stolen. And the, the nice thing about something physical like the TSA lock system uh, was that you have to go by, you have to go through physically each piece of luggage one by one, right? You have to go find that luggage. You have to, I mean, it, it's a whole process, right? So it's, unless you work at an airline, uh, you know, uh, handling baggage, or, or sorry, at an airport handling baggage, it's not of much use to you. But digital keys are different because if I get a digital key, then I can access anything that's online pretty much. And that is insanely dangerous. And that's why, Apple was throwing such a fit about building in a back door because if, if another country gets that uh, or if somebody with nefarious purposes gets that, all of a sudden um, it becomes this massive liability on who can hack into not just hundreds, not thousands, uh, millions and tens of millions of phones. And I think that's a, that's a great segue into the Amazon Alejandra case where they sent the subpoena for the audio recordings. Yeah, well, do you want do you want to talk about this or do you want me to the hot tub? Go. Uh, yeah, go go ahead. Okay, so there there is a case just recently that there was a uh, there is a what is suspected to be a murder, and a person was found in a hot tub, uh, I believe bruised up slightly. Uh, the uh, person was found dead uh, clearly, and the police found that there was an Amazon Echo in the house and subpoenaed um, recordings from Amazon. Now, what I have since found out, I don't believe, I think I had this incorrect for a while. I don't believe Amazon Echo or the service behind it, good old Alejandra, uh, records everything until you say the wake word. So I don't think it's constant recording, but it is constantly listening. But I don't believe what it's listening to is being recorded. I think it only starts recording things uh, once you say the wake word. Um, I, I believe. Because, uh, uh, yes, yes. So maybe one of the persons in the in the murder case was uh, was named uh, Alexa. And, uh, that's, that's <laughs> oh, you just blew it. We were trying so hard not to use the name. Okay. I had to. Okay, now, had to. Now, now that you used it once, we can use it as many times as we want. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting pinged on Skype. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so. Uh, yeah, so so that that was actually I heard another podcast making fun of it, like person getting beaten up, you know, yelling out for help, um, which honestly isn't a bad idea. I gotta say, if if I was in my house and I had access to my Echo device and somebody was trying to break in, I would say Alejandra, you know, call the police if that worked. I don't think that works, but if that yeah. does work, that's a, that would be a pretty compelling case. So I actually probably would say that if I were in my own home and somebody was breaking in. Because I would want it to be recorded 
Um, and I would want to have that on record, which is actually a, a sort of a nice emergency case uh, for it. I wonder if you could say alert the police or something like that. I'll have to read up on that. But what the special thing is here is that if we're talking about golden keys, they're about unlocking things that you can also physically protect, right? Or physically keep private. Your phone, your data in your phone, your stuff in your suitcase. By keeping your suitcase in sight, nobody will open it, even if they have the key. Nobody will grab the data off your phone, even if they have the key. Maybe a little bit different because your phone can be connected to a wireless data service and, and therefore it can be hacked into with a golden key. But it's even worse if your data is stored not on your device, but on a company's premises, meaning that it can be subpoenaed by the local government. Your data is being stored by Amazon or is being stored by Microsoft or Google or whoever, and it can actually be uh, used in, in, yeah, in special cases. Oh, 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 oh. What, one other thing about this case that I just found out. The police were also looking at the smart water meter. Uh, because yeah. it, it was talking about how much water was used during this time, which apparently caused they had spikes of water usage around the same time that they believed the, the again, what is believed to be a murder uh, was committed. And so you think that you're had doing to do with the hot tub. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, was the hot tub flushed or dumped out or what happened here? Uh, but the point is, all of, these, all of these pieces of data that you think are private, it's not just your phone. It's not just your messages. It's not just your Facebook chat is encrypted or your WhatsApp chat is encrypted. It's that these devices that we've talked about so, so many times on, on, on the show, whether that's a robot or whether that's a, a Google uh, Home device or an Amazon Echo or Siri, uh, these things record information and this information is getting to be used. And, and that, I don't, I don't know how I, how I sort of feel about that, but I understand why if I were law enforcement, I would subpoena it. But it is quite like net neutral, like our net neutrality discussions. It is a very slippery slope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, yeah, yes, yeah. It, you're going to dismantle your your water meter right now, you're like taking a hammer to it. <laughs> <laughs> my house is not very smart. I'm safe. I my have a dumb my, house. My house. I mean, you know all the shit that I put in my house, so I try to put more and more stuff in it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I better make sure I don't commit any crimes, which which luckily I don't plan on doing. But this is something. So. Going back to the issue of privacy, because now we've, we've, we've talked about all, we've talked about, uh, there's been smart home issues, as we just said, there's the amount of things that are being recorded. And just the idea that all this information, when you are browsing websites, um, is, is not necessarily, things that you always think are yours are not necessarily yours. Whether you think that's your water meter readings, whether you think that's this device in your home that you think is, is your own device, it is something private. You know, j- just like a judge could subpoena a diary let's say uh this is something else and and, you know what's what are sort of the roles around privacy but there is also other things about privacy which has to do with uh you know who's looking at your data and as we saw there's 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 the evernote scandal just recently Mm -hmm. right so evernote changed their privacy policy well they didn't actually go through with this because there was such a commotion around it but i think they they, tried they tried but and i think it really damaged their brand which was um they were going to change the policy so that Evernote employees could, it was like access and read your notes and people lost their, um, you know, beep over it. And rightfully so. Like, I don't know who works at Evernote. I don't know, you know, I don't know who those people are. They're not law enforcement. They're not people. They're, they're not government. That's, that's, this is one step below that. There, there is a subset of people who have access to your notes. And at this point now, I, th- I think that really did a lot of damage because when people are going to be using Evernote, 
uh, if anyone new signs up for it, they're going to be thinking, well, they wanted to do this. Where is it going to go in the future? And then, so yeah, I don't, I don't know anything on that. Cause I, 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 I want, I'd like to pivot into one thing I think is important, but anything on that Evernote aspect? No, I think, I think we need to get started on, uh, on what we want to see as a trend. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what we haven't talked about here is we went through uh, all this device recording. Uh, the The name of the trend is privacy returns home. And what we, what we start to think out of this is that privacy encryption and um, security are the new uh, or can be a new competitive advantage for companies. And this is something yeah. that we're going to talk about this in the future with, uh, we're also working on a telco report, uh, which is going to come out fairly soon as well. Uh, just, just, looking at trends that that telcos can take advantage of as as they have their own issues one of the, one of these things that both relates to privacy and and to telcos is the aspect that companies that manage your data or manage data communications or communications at all or transferring of data have a competitive advantage now that they can offer services that protect your data or protect your privacy so encryption services vpn services um these types of situations can be, uh, in, in, in my opinion, and I mean, tell me if you think I'm wrong on this, a competitive advantage, because if I know that a, a telco or a company, let's say, a communications company, Signal, WhatsApp, these types of things, everything is encrypted, I'm, I may be more likely to use that company, even if it's at a higher premium. In fact, for me personally, if I trusted that company, I would use it as a higher premium for, for data transfer or for VPN services, because I know that this company is taking care of me and I, I feel more protected because of it. Yeah. And we, we talk about these things a lot. And I know you and I take our uh, security precautions uh, yeah, reasonably serious. We're not experts, but we try to protect ourselves in, in ways by using a VPN, using two-factor authentication, uh, using a password manager with long passwords and changing them out every now and then. Uh, and it feels a little bit like uh, what we call the, the bike locking principle here in Amsterdam. As long as your bike is more securely locked than the bike next to it, yours will still be there at the end of the day and the other one might not. And I, I feel security at the moment is a little bit like that, right? Only security researchers are the people who are going to be the most secure possible. And then you have several tiers below that. But there's a very, very long tail to this discussion where lots of people don't really know about security or don't really take precautions about security and are actually in the in the very unsafe realm and what i would like to see happening is that there will be a, a sort of a an awareness created slowly on actually what type of security you you need to um, provide yourself with like the the normal user will need to become aware of 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 these things what? like it's I, I don't know yeah. because it does. Yes, I, I agree with what we currently have. The normal user should become aware and, and we can talk about that in a moment. Um, mm -hmm. But if, if the services I used did it for me, like I don't know how a, how a television works. I just know I get channels out of it and I can watch entertainment on it. Do I need to know how mm -hmm. these things work or do I need to know that I need a VPN or is it that, you know, Vodafone or, you know, whoever, um, you know, uh, not Comcast, AT&T, uh, provides a VPN for me that just connects, right? If I am if I'm connecting to a, a, a Wi-Fi hotspot that is untrusted, it just connects automatically, right? So, do I need to understand yeah. these things, or should it be provided for me? Yeah, I can kind of see your point where you're where you're inverting it and seeing like, hey, 
if I just know I'm using my services properly, then we're fine. So in, in that respect, um, it will be unfair for a coffee place to open a, a Wi-Fi hotspot that is not secure for you to use. And I think there's, there's kind of a layer in between. When it's about your mobile phone provider, your 4G provider, you can know because you bought the secure subscription or they tell you any line you have from us is secure and we'll make sure that there's no, uh, no listeners on that line. But I think there's a little bit more that needs to be done there where maybe the device that you're using can tell you about things being secure or not. I know there's a large push going on for enabling all websites to use HTTPS. Uh, there are now automatic certificate uh, providing services that uh, um, give you free certificates every three months, things like that. Uh, Chrome is uh, showing websites off as being not secure if they don't use HTTPS. All of these things are are slowly getting into the awareness of people. Yeah, so so I like I just uh, I have HTTPS everywhere on Chrome, which does yeah stop some sites because I can say block. Um... Uh, block unencrypted sites, whatever it is, or unencrypted requests. Um, yeah. So I, I think the main thing here is that uh, the big takeaway for me out of, out of you know, who's you and I working on this for the last few weeks, for the last month, is that this is a competitive advantage. This is something that I think the more that people realize about it, the more that they will be willing to pay for it um, as, mm-hmm. a, as both a service uh, and as something physical, like if a phone can, can have, uh, you know, better... Uh, well, I guess it is software and a service, really. Um, so, but yes, the point is, that, you know, telcos or people who do communication. So, anyone who handles my chats, my emails, things like that, I see this as a competitive advantage. I see it as something huge for telcos, uh, for people who do deal with the transfer of data at all times. Mm-hmm. And and I I would love to see this become a competitive advantage um, for companies. I would love to see companies embrace this as opposed to. The last, you know, five years have been about big data and harvesting users' data, and it would be a nice trend and turnaround to see companies protect uh, users' data and and uh, you know harvest it. Uh, you know, we're 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 happy to have our data harvested for convenience, um, but I think there's a difference between proper harvesting and improper harvesting, where you're selling it or you're using it for nothing but marketing in these types of situations. Yeah, so we, we talked about it. I think two, three episodes ago. Um, I think designers need to take their responsibility and start learning about uh, security and privacy and what these things mean for design. How can you make an application safe by design? You don't need to know how the technologies that you're implementing work in detail, but you do need to know what they're doing and why they are there. Also, same thing, if you're gathering data about a user uh, to make an application uh, nice to use, make sure that this same data cannot be used to do bad things to that same user. Love it. I think the way that we wrap up for this one, because we got a question on on our little uh, Skype uh, Skype audience chat here, is mm-hmm. what wh- what do we do um, to protect our data? And so I I can start with this as as my wrap up for this. Um, yep. I I have a personal server at my home which I have set up. Uh, to use for VPN. So when I, whenever I'm in a situation like at a coffee house Wi-Fi, I VPN through my own server. I'm failing that. I'm sure who's uh, in a moment you can tell us about other VPNs available um, because there are other ones available. I, I, I was using Ytopia for a while. Um, I encrypt my hard drive now. Uh, so on Apple, they offer that ability on Mac computers to encrypt your hard drive. On my phone, I have two VPNs installed. I have the, what is it, uh, Opera VPN, 
and my own personal yep. VPN. Um, I use, uh, I just, uh, most things I have one factor authentication, which means I just use one level of security, like a password. Um, my emails are not encrypted at this moment. I, I don't do that, but I try to use uh, chat services like Telegram or Signal that are encrypted, although WhatsApp has such a you know handle over me. Uh, and I'm trying to think on on Chrome. Oh wait, 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 wait! WhatsApp is encrypted. Oh they yes, it started is. Started doing ah, that last year. Ha ha! Yes, I for, I totally forgot. Thank you. Um, and yeah, I'll, and it is actually using the protocol that Signal is using as well. Oh, the open so one. That, nice. Yeah. So yeah. the only difference here being uh, WhatsApp is owned by Facebook and Signal is owned by Signal. True. True. And the last thing I'll say on Chrome, I use that HTTPS Everywhere uh, plugin. Um, so that's off the top of my head, the things that I do uh, for my own personal uh, privacy as well. There's a lot more I could do as far as ad blocking and using other browsers, um, but I'm, st I'm still learning all these things myself. So, uh, Chris, what's, uh, what's uh, your privacy look like? Yeah, I, I think you pretty much named everything, but I think we should split them up into different topics. So you have the, the security of identification, right? So making sure that you are the only one being able to use the services that you use under your name. And that the trick there is to uh, at least use a password manager to have separate passwords for every service to make sure that whenever one of your password leaks, it does not become a golden key for other accounts as well. Oh, yes. We both use one password. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't use the same password. Use a password manager you trust. And one password seems to be a, a one that a lot of people trust. And then uh, on top of that, you can use two-factor authentication, which means you uh, need a password and a device or, or something else to unlock your accounts, uh, just to make sure that even if your one password uh, leaks, that still people need something else to get in there. Uh, that's as far as identification uh, and, and authentication goes. I, one important thing to say is, is that, because for designers listening to this, I do think uh, there's this uh, ideal of everything being as simple as possible and security and privacy are not fundamentally, but nearly fundamentally at the opposite of the easiest, you know, user interface type of situations like two factor authentication. A lot of people are going to roll their eyes at this until they get their identity stolen, right? Then all of a sudden two factor authentication doesn't seem that difficult. Um, but this is something that is, is good to explain for designers that this, this, sometimes this won't always be the easiest thing. Um, so it's important to develop systems um, that make it easy to recover for owners if you forget a password or if you forget a security question. Uh, but it is just something to think about as you're designing for, for security and privacy. So sorry, please continue. Yeah, th that's, that's the thing. People always sacrifice um, um, security for ease of use, right? Uh, yeah, people, people I use the are, same password everywhere and, and don't lock your computer, these types of things. Well, you know, yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> so to, to continue my paranoid rant, uh, yes. So besides uh, securing authentication, you also uh, can take a, another level of security, which is uh, looking at the connections that you're using to get to these services. So are you on your home-owned Wi-Fi? Are you sure that's still safe? Also think about passwords there. Um, are you on a public Wi-Fi? Do you need a VPN to protect yourself? A VPN is basically a private connection to a server from which on you make connections to your other services. V virtual private network, right? Is that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it can either be used to open up a uh, private network that you have somewhere else, or it can just be used as a layer of protection over a public Wi-Fi. Um, 
yeah, those are the basics. We can get much deeper, but I don't think that people will uh, really be helped by uh, our paranoid rant. No, yeah. And uh, also, I think that we are we are way over time. We always try to do this in 30 or, well, at the, when we first started it, we were like 20 minutes and that went to 30 minutes and now we went to 40 minutes and now we're at 50 minutes. So I, I think it's a good point to wrap it up. I, I, yeah. I absolutely have, have loved these trends and loved the discussion. So the podcast and the, the trends document will be out on our website in the next uh, week or so. I think the podcast will come a little bit before the document since we still have a few editing pieces to do here. Uh, but again, uh, for everyone listening, thank you for for taking some time to listen. Happy New Year. Happy 2017. Chris, last words? Yeah. Uh, this podcast sounds best on Apple AirPods, so everybody buy them now. I'm, I'm hoping Apple will pay us for this advertisement. No. <laughs> Endorse Microsoft. My stock needs to go up. I mean, my stock's going Yeah, too bad. <laughs> no, that was, that was it for me. Okay. Um, well, Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, have a great day, man, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Later. Thank you.